The College Game Day podcast is presented by Old Dominion Freight Line, helping the world keep promises. We got a real simple plan. One me and one mission. Georgia has won the national championship. You're a fan, you might think this is sports heaven. This might be college football heaven. This is ESPN's College Game Day podcast. Now alongside Pete Thamel, is Reese Davis. Honk if you're in the transfer portal. A certain level of panic enveloped Vegas and why I tried to help Pete, but it turns out I was just a little bit too late. This is the College Game Day podcast for Thursday, December 8th. Only one game remaining in the regular season. Army-Navy this week. There's no College Game Day uh, television show from Army-Navy this week. Uh, something that we've always enjoyed doing in the past. Reese Davis and Pete Thamel here. Pete, you know, I really thought that maybe I, I was flying back from Las Vegas in the National Football Foundation dinner yesterday. I was working on the award show that I'm hosting tonight, the College Football Award Show. So I hadn't been really locked to my Twitter or anything like that. But I get a, I get a text shortly after landing on the ground from a friend of mine who would be in a position to know some things. So I immediately sent it on to you thinking, hey, you know what? This could be my good deed. This could be this could be an area in which I I might give Pete some insight. I might give him a head start or at least, you know, some help on on breaking news. And I need I all get, the help I can get. No, that, actually, so. that's not true. I just wanted to I just wanted to contribute to show the teamwork and, you know, the gratitude for what you do. And I get back. Uh, yeah, I already know that. So, you know, I tried, man. I mean, I did what I could, yeah. right? But I didn't break the story, so I can't. I don't want to come off as braggadocious. So there was. Well, I wasn't uh, going. Yeah. Well, I wasn't yeah. going to. It doesn't matter. No, that's okay. That's, because you've that's broken. Okay. You've broken plenty this week, and there and there are a lot. There are a lot to break. Um, Oof, there well, are. What what yeah. has been? What has been the one? Which which one? The biggest piece of news you've broken, and also which one raised your eyebrows the most. Well, I don't know what about what I've broken. I, I thought Michael, we broke Michael Mayer going to the draft. That's a huge name. Uh, I really yeah. think he's a, you know, really, he's not Kyle Pitts, mm-hmm. but he's a darn good tight end prospect who's going to go really high in the draft. So, big name, productive player for three years. Uh, you know, great kid. Scouts love him. So, that was, uh, that was fun talking to him this week. I really love Reese. Uh, and I've done a bunch of these over the years, talking to kids as they declare and, and writing their stories because mm-hmm. it's just a once in a lifetime thing. You know, you can talk to a kid after he after you win a game or you catch a touchdown path, but like that mm-hmm. pivot point between like college and the rest of your life and the uncertainty and the intricacies of the draft process is a really cool moment in time just to capture kids and how they feel. So that was uh, that was a, probably the most fun interview I did this week, and that was a fun story to uh, to, to to punch out there. Uh, I think the biggest surprise to me this week was Phil Longo going to Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's almost like a George Costanza move. You know what I mean? Like Wisconsin said, we're going to be the most opposite of Wisconsin that we've been. Uh, Phil Longo mm-hmm. obviously has been super successful uh, statistically at North Carolina in terms of numbers, yards, uh plays. I mean, they, they go, go, go with a, you know, a a very refined system that is 
you know, limited in scope, but they do what they do very well. Um, mm-hmm. It's a little bit leachian with some tempo, uh, with some tempo to it. So that's just going to look drastically different. I mean, that would be like you know that offense at Wisconsin would be like the tailgaters drinking uh, drinking rosé. Yeah, it just it's, won't you, fit. <laughs> you know what? It is. It's really weird because uh, that's a good way to put it. Because my first thought was uh, Wisconsin. Welcome to your Texas Tech, Washington State, Mississippi State moment. I know, look, he's he's yeah. different from Leach. Longo sort of uh, became an air raid aficionado. His background is, you know, I think he played at East Stroudsburg, maybe coached at uh, Slippery Rock, you know, was at Ole Miss for a while. But in the 90s, somewhere at a coaching clinic, he came across Mike Leach and became an air raid aficionado. But he's put his own tweak on it. Uh, certainly the years at North Carolina, while they had terrific quarterback and Sam Howell, uh, having Michael Carter and Javante Williams and that tough ground game, they, they'll run the ball, but they're not going to run it the way Wisconsin is accustomed sure. to seeing it run. And I, I thought something that was really, really interesting. I, I was talking to a, another sitting head coach. This has been a while back earlier in the year. Not going to name his name who it is because I'm hoping that he's he's up for other jobs. But he said that if if you go to a place you have to you have to assure everyone involved that your offense will be attractive to every high school quarterback and every quarterback in the transfer portal and yeah. i think that with the success that sam howell had and certainly the success that drake may had uh, you know it fell off a little bit toward the end of the year but i think the success that would check a box there in terms of being Um, attractive to a quarterback in a way that Russell Wilson, notwithstanding uh, Wisconsin really hasn't ever been. And Daryl Bevel too. They've had good, good quarterbacks, but I'm not sure you've ever looked at Wisconsin. There's been a lot of Brooks Bollinger's in there too. Just very solid, capable guys who learned pro offenses and went to be NFL backups, which is exactly. Yeah. yeah. They were game managers who managed the games really well and won a lot of games. So it's hard to criticize them. Uh, Let me throw out a name here. I heard some whispers last night. Uh, Didn't, you know, not enough to to report, but just sort of kind of an interesting idea is that Jacoby Criswell, the backup at North Carolina, who remember now, was it performative or not? We don't know, but was, you know, in a race to be the starting quarterback with Drake May, this, Mm -hmm. uh, this camp. Uh, He's a kid from Arkansas. They really think a lot of him in the program. Um, he was going to have a really strong market in the transfer portal. Um, there's a thought he'll follow Longo to uh, to Wisconsin, which you know would give them a dual threat quarterback, um, which is just not something they've. I, I can't name off every Wisconsin quarterback since Russell Wilson in my head, but I don't have a lot of dual threat uh, options in my mind there. Yeah. You, you have a better memory of that stuff than me. So you might, you may, you may correct me and say in 2014, no. they had one guy, but I don't, I don't remember one. No, I, I don't remember. Either. I mean, maybe some guys who occasionally, you know, could scramble out of the pocket and get every now and then get seven when you needed six. You know, if you if you yeah. race to the, you know, yeah. really race to the edge and got out of bounds just in time. But nobody that was really uh, that was necessarily a threat or that scared you. Yeah, they It'd weren't drawing up a lot time. of QB runs there since Russell. No, yeah. but they but you know what? With Longo, they probably will. I mean, oh, I, yeah. I do think I do think he designs things uh, relative to what his quarterback strengths are. But sure. but Sam Howell was a good runner. Drake May's a good runner. You know, they. um you know, when he was at Ole Miss, they had some guys can move around a little bit. So it's, Drake May uh, had seven rushing touchdowns this year, Reese. Yeah, that, that number he, surprised me. He can he can move, and they're not afraid to move him. Yeah, he's uh 
he he's a little bit like I and I don't pretend to know what Drake runs the 40 in, but he's a little bit like Andrew Luck in this regard. Everybody thought of Andrew as being a you know just pure pocket passer who could run a little bit. Then he goes to the combine, and if memory serves, I think he put up the same, if not a slightly better 40 time than Cam Newton. I, I think mm-hmm. he did. And you know, yeah. so I think. Uh, it's one of those situations where Drake runs pretty well. I'm not sure he mm-hmm. runs as well as Andrew. Andrew could really yeah. run, but um, he he can run. So let's talk about your quarterback crushes here because there's a collision of crushes for Reese this week. <laughs> I saw on your Instagram that you took a picture with Andrew Luck, and you're smiling like a little bigger in that one than you were yeah. in the uh, when you were in the other ones. Uh, well, too- well, give us a little give us a little behind the scenes. I mean, you just interacted with the college football. Uh, paparazzi set um yeah. what was that like in vegas and uh i read the seth wickersham's fantastic story oh, on andrew luck it was yeah. great yeah really was, really well done and uh yeah it, it, it's a cool night pete um you know i've been i've worked with the national football foundation in a couple of capacities mm-hmm. for a number of years and steve hatchell and matthew sign hillary jeffries names that people might not know uh, on the outside but people within the sport do they they do such an unbelievable job of organizing that event, of taking care of the Hall of Famers. They've got unbelievable leadership from my original uh, my original quarterback crush and my favorite all-time professional athlete, Archie Manning. Uh, when, I oh, was, wow. w- when I was a little kid, um, even though the Saints lost, when you got the jerseys, uh, you're too young for this, but in, in the old uh, Sears Christmas wish book, catalogs in the back they had all the nfl jerseys in the back and you know it'd have a number and you could order the jersey and every year i i wanted a jersey and you know a lot of years i i you know i got alabama jerseys too but i always wanted uh you know if one was getting you know if i was growing out of one or one had worn out i wanted a saints number eight jersey because Ar- archie manning he was my dad's favorite player and uh so I, he became my favorite player too so it's always a treat to go there yeah. uh and i sit up there beside what Ar- a gentleman and, and he is oh he's Oh, he's unbelievable. Oh, and it's, it's better it's really than you cool. ever want him to be. Like, he's just, he's great. Yeah. It's funny, you know, because it's different when you become an adult than when you're mm-hmm. kid. And, you know, there's always that, uh, you know, and now we're more, we're closer to the same age, more contemporaries and friends now than we are, you know, seven year old sure. Reese Davis who admired the professional quarterback. And they always say, don't meet your heroes. Yeah. Well, if your heroes aren't you manning, it's okay because it's even <laughs> better. It's even better than, than what you might have thought. Uh, you know, when you were a little kid or something, he's just a great gentleman, gives great leadership. So does Archie Griffin, also an unbelievable human being. They give great leadership to the event. So you you go there, the Hall of Fame class is there. You, you get some gossip, but you also get reminded, Pete, that for all of the business aspect, for all of the things that, that are happening that make people wonder, do you still love the game? There was one one quote that that someone said to me that really, really struck me. LeVar Arrington was part of the Hall of Fame class this year. And so I, I took a picture with him too. Um, you know, I, I try to do that with just a few a few guys here and there. And LeVar, and I just sort of, you know, making the small talk, you know, what's this like? And he he was smiling, you know, that that uh, million watt smile, great smile that he has. And he said, man, I don't think my feet have touched the ground. And wow. that, I mean, it's LeVar, cool. it's LeVar Arrington. You know, I mean, yeah. you think of him as, you know, tough guy, always been a star, probably not moved by a lot of things. Uh, he, he was, and it was, 
it was a, a tremendous night. Andrew gave uh, one guy speaks on behalf of the class. And Andrew spoke on behalf of everybody and was, you know, as you might anticipate, extraordinarily gracious. It was funny. Um, it was insightful. We talked a little bit about the Seth Wickersham article. And, um, I, you know, I told him, I said it was phenomenal and really remarkable that you were yeah. as open, you know, a, yeah. as you were. And he asked me if I knew him, if I knew Seth. And I said, no, I don't. I've never met him. And the funny thing was, Andrew said, I didn't know him either. Yeah. But in your in your business, um, in your aspect of it, Seth, you know, reached out to him, built up some trust. And when the time was right, Andrew was ready to talk. And he, he was he was tremendous. You missed you missed one of my other um, uh, quarterback uh, quarterbacks that I admired. I would say I prefer that over crush. But uh, that came up to me. Willie Satellite Totten. Do you know that name? Wow. I don't. Uh, Willie Satellite Totten was a great college quarterback. He was at Mississippi Valley State. And he Willie had heard when we were in Jackson at the Jackson State game, you know, mm -hmm. we do the media availabilities. And at one point, I told them that uh, my college buddies and I had gone to Jackson to see Alabama and Mississippi State. And I tried to convince them to stay and watch a night game. They had a doubleheader there, I think. I think it was at, uh, at the same stadium. And Mississippi Valley State was playing somebody. I said, I wanted to see Willie Satellite Totten play. I said, as it turns out, his wide receiver, Jerry Rice, was okay, too. But <laughs> it was Satellite Totten was putting up all these numbers. But Willie came up, and, and we had a nice visit, too. So uh, a, lot of, a lot of cool stuff on that night, for sure. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Well, David Pollack has entered the chat, Reese. I don't know if you can see him or not. Speaking of guys, speaking of guys, tough guys who don't like to get uh, moved or often, uh, often not expressing their emotions. Last year, when David went into the Hall of Fame, and rightfully so, Georgia Red sparkly loafers to go with his tuxedo. Uh, I think David will tell you that even for a tough guy like him, that that's kind of an emotional night, isn't it, Davey? When when you welcome in, when you realize that cast of characters that you're joining forever? Well, it's, it's not only the cast of characters, it's the, the cast of thousands that helped you get there. You know, like it's the, you know, that's, that's what I think you, that's what puts into perspective right away. You're like mom and daddy are there and you're like, you know how much they sacrificed for you to, um, to have a chance to be successful and how much they gave up for you. So I think it's all those emotions that come together. But I do remember that story about um, you told me at Jackson state about the, uh, about Mr. Jerry Rice's teammate. So yeah, that was a that was a good story. I'm glad I got to hear that again. Yeah, he came he came up. He came up on the dais and uh and said hello. And you know, he's been Willie's been coaching for a really long time. He's been he's been a coach forever. He had some, you know, he had some, you know, insight on some of the coaching moves, certainly on, you know, um, you know, had appreciation, I think, for what Dion accomplished and really talking about what a pivotal time it is really for a lot of the HBCU jobs. And, sure. uh, you know, we talked a little bit about the discrepancies, even in budgets, even in some of the, among some of those schools and some that, 
uh, they're facing at his alma mater. So a great guy, a great night, a lot, a lot of fun, sort of, sort of masked all the angst. I, I noted David right off the top. There were almost 2000 people in the room. I said, the, the race is between, will there be more people in this room or more people in the transfer portal by the time we finish the day? So, <laughs> it's going to be a tight portal. race. <laughs> so that's a good segue. I'm, I'm excited to ask David this question. We're, so we were talking about Reese's quarterback crushes david andrew luck who we saw at the nff dinner and then drake may his current uh his current version and by crush we just mean uh, the, the one whose game he has admired to a uh to a high high level guys and, that i uh, think are going to be cornerstone yeah. franchise superstars both in college and the nfl to define it yes. that's that's what it is okay so you would you would made an interesting comment to me uh david i think we were in oregon it was it was the middle of the year you said i watched drake may for the first time we were just sitting in the office you said i just watched Drake May for the first time I studied him and oh my god you were you were blown away um so I have two questions for you hey, did you watch the last three games at the end of the year when he didn't play well um he struggled some and with their offensive coordinator Phil Longo going to Wisconsin who would you hire who do you think is the best offensive coordinator to maximize Drake May in his final year at Carolina yeah, he, he his tape was his tape was as mind blowing as 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 I've seen. Um, wow. And I say that because there's so many nuances of quarterback, right? There's so many guys that are really good when it's clean. Uh, C.J. Stroud, elite in rhythm, in timing, clean. That dude is insane. Drake May has that ability. Tight window throws when it's covered a little bit, but I'm going to throw people open, and that's obviously a big difference between college and NFL. Is the definition of open changes. Um, and then the creativity factor to be able to scramble, to be able to make plays and, and, you know, Drake may being his size, you know, six, four, um, 200 plus pounds to scramble around and throw on the run. I think distributing the football to all kinds of different people, knowing your answers, like he's, he's got all of it, man. He, he's got, a, he's got a lot. Now, listen, down the stretch, there's, there's no denying he wasn't the same guy and, um, got pressured a heck of a lot more. They did a really good job getting in his face. They did a really job sacking him, and and he just wasn't near as sharp. And, and I don't know, I don't know what that, uh, I don't know what you attribute that the most to. Is that down the stretch, and uh, you know they're starting to get to know you, and you struggle a little bit more? I think it'll be interesting to watch him moving forward. But I'll, I'll bet a lot of money and, and a lot of stock on on Drake May. That's a great question. It's an interesting question with him. I think just like we've seen in the past. Um, and, and when 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 Reese said crushes and quarterbacks, like immediately the first person that came to mind for me was Joe Burrow, it was because like I just marveled at his uh, his calmness. I marveled at his smarts. I marveled at what he could do. And you know that that QB race with him and Tua, you know, it's still going on. By the way, it's still a good debate yeah. in the NFL. But Joe Burrow is just so unbelievable and so cool. But you think about a guy like Joe Brady was the hot name. You know, Joe Brady was a huge name for for Joe Burrow. I think it had a lot more to do with with Joe Burrow than it did Joe Brady. And I think a lot of offensive coordinators are really great when you have a guy that can process information and get the ball out and create and make plays. So uh, it's it's a great question. I don't have the answer, Pete, of, of who I would hire, but I think that whoever gets that job is going to be like, yeah, th this isn't that bad calling plays for for this guy because he's going to make me look really good. I, I don't I don't want to go backwards and relive history here, but I'm going to own up and admit I had a tough time coming around on Burrow over the course hmm. of that year. And you say, why? Well, I'll tell you why. I'd seen him at Ohio State. 
spring game yep. a little bit. And I saw him 2018 and he was, he was just a guy, you know, he, he, I, I, I was on the sideline for a game where his team scored zero points, zero, you know? And so I, it took, I took me a little while to come around wrong. That dude's elite. He's unbelievable. He, he's sensational, but it's gotta be the right mix. Right. I mean, oh, yeah. because while I agree with you, David, thousand percent more the player than the coach every time I, because I've seen, uh, I've seen a lot of coaches mess up good players is oh, yeah. coach has to, you know, so they have to have, I've never seen a great coach necessarily take a, you know, not so great guy and make him great. You can make him good, make him better and all of that. So it's important to get the right guy, not only for Drake May, but for the future of the Carolina program, because then Matt can say, look, we hired this guy and he elevated Drake May. Think about what he can do for you. So it's not it is hiring for Drake May because you want to maximize when you have a superstar, but it's also getting the guy who the next guy will believe in, too. Yeah, by the way. Whoever North Carolina recruits at quarterback, if I'm watching across the country, I'm going to steal it. Like, when you look at Sam Howell, when you look at now Drake May, like, whoever's next in their pipeline, go ahead and go get him. Like, I think there's a <laughs> freshman kid that, that just went in the portal. Like, go get that kid because North Carolina's got an eye for talent. Like, they've done an unbelievable job finding dudes. Like, that's a hard thing to do, you know, time and time again. But, no, it, it's not – Reese, it's not only – systems that make guys mm -hmm. you know systems can make or break a guy it's also supporting cast mm -hmm. like so many times you see so many quarterbacks that, across the country that like they're really good they make a lot of big time plays but there's not a lot of guys that can win and when there's not a lot of guys that can win I can do things to you that you can't there's no there's no great quarterback that can beat that like when I when I can blanket your receivers and shut them down like it's really hard to do it but there are systems that you know, you watch, and this is the big thing about us, right? With with watching tape and di diving in, who manufactures great offense? Who gets guys open? Who has answers? The biggest thing is who has answers. When you're when you see wide receivers running routes, there are wide receivers that run routes that always become open. Why is that? Because they have answers. They understand when they're seeing a certain type of coverage, they know how to get open. They know how to beat that type of coverage. And there are some that. They're going to run their route regardless. I'm supposed to run it to 10. I'm going to run to 10. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to, I'm going to do that. The great offenses, they have answers. The great offenses uh, across college football have dudes too. And I think, you know, Downs is a guy that like for North Carolina, he's probably going to go to the NFL. They've done a good job finding playmakers too, like at running back at wide receiver uh, in Mac Brown's tenure. So they're going to have to find him some help as well. But the system, the players around them, all that stuff, Oh, 100% matters, and it matters when guys are looking at myself and going, I'm projecting, I want to go win a Heisman. You know, I want to be a first pick. I want to do this. What, what does your system do for me to get me there? So here's the interesting question, because the rosters are the roster, and they're fluid in the portal and everything like that. But can you, if you want to incubate Drake May to become the best NFL quarterback, and he'll likely have a say. Remember when uh, – Florida switch coordinators and Tebow came back. Like he sat in the like interviews. He like helped pick the offensive, uh, the offensive coordinator and the, uh, in the, well, I think it might've been the quarterback coach. It was Scott Leffler. If, uh, if memory serves me right, it, it was a while ago, but you want to give your cornerstone player a, a voice and a chance. Now, 
can you go become like a defiant NFL system? Now, obviously, Longo going to Wisconsin, you, you can joke like, can North Carolina become Wisconsin to, to help that? And I don't I don't know. Is the roster structured for that? Are there enough tight ends on the roster, you know, who can who can come in and help you play a more, uh, a, you know, a less air raid system and maybe a more evolved system? So I think it's a really I think that's the most interesting coordinator hire this offseason because you have this transcendent once a decade type player slash prospect with it. So that said, let me ask you guys this. Uh, I'm in the, I'm in the question dishing mood today. Uh, <laughs> you have the number one pick in the draft next year. Do you take Caleb Williams or Drake may Drake may David Drake, may, Drake may. Wow. I, I love, I, I love Caleb Williams uh, playmaking and listen, Caleb Williams is a great player. Do not get this wrong and don't mm-hmm. take this down a hole, but I don't think Caleb Williams is good. Caleb Williams, a lot of times, the, the play is drawn up, the layup's there, but Caleb Williams doesn't want the layup. Caleb Williams wants three. It's, it's like a lot of these guys <laughs> on a fast break now. It's like a lot of these guys on a fast break now. Like they run, Reese, you see them all the time. They run to the three-point line. Forget the daggum layup. Like they, <laughs> they, they want the triple. Um, and I think for me, Caleb Williams has a lot of that in him. Like I just, I would love to see him play within the structure more. Do you see the Mahomes? A hundred percent. You see yeah. the playmaking gift. Yes. You see the wow factor. Um, but, but I want to see more again to sustain offense and, and be a guy in the NFL. You're going to win some battles and you're going to lose some battles. I think Drake may has the ability to keep you on schedule, but also make some of those off schedule plays. Not like Caleb, not even close to like Caleb. Caleb's got magic. Caleb's got lightning. He is one of the best playmakers you'll see at that position at that spot. But but I want a guy that can also, you know, and listen, Caleb could develop into that more down the road. But I also want that guy that can take the take the layups, take the mid range, you know, take all those things to keep my offense moving forward. So to me, it'd be Drake May. Does it bother you at all that? And look, let me I want to say this, too. I answered immediately, Pete, but I think that's one of those situations where you're happy either way. If you're sitting there, number two, and you need a quarterback. You might have your preference, but so what? You get the other one, you're you're fine, you know, if you if you develop them properly. And I know that I, I know that Drake May has been running air raid type style and, and Lincoln Riley has some of the same backgrounds. It, does it bother you at all that the quarterbacks that have come purely out of Oklahoma, while Jalen Hurts certainly, you know, has a year at Oklahoma, it's been a little bit of a mixed back. You know, um, does that does that bother you at all? Either yeah, I, mean, I think it, I think you take that into account, and I, and I tell you what, that's what makes me that's what makes me feel more comfortable when I watch a guy like Drake May because what I can't do. By the way, let's just not do air raid. Let's do Clemson. Clemson's offense coming out like Clemson did attack the middle of the field. They haven't for years. So when mm-hmm. I when I assess Deshaun Watson and I assess Trevor Lawrence, I'm like. Okay, golly, can we throw over a linebacker between a safety? Can we do that? But but they didn't do that because of the talent on the perimeter and the way they mm-hmm. just ran the easiness of the offense. Like the thing I've seen about Drake May that separates and it makes a difference. I see him throw balls between linebackers, between safeties. I see him make those plays that I'm like, man, you got to have a lot of trust and confidence in your arm to do that and belief, and you better put that ball in a tight box. So yes, there is some of that that goes into it that. I have to, you know, the system. Listen, Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray is an elite athlete. 
Um, now, Kyler Murray has other questions, too, off the field and his commitment level and stuff like that. Elite athlete, but can he play within structure? Can he continue to uh, – now, listen, he, he, he's got Cliff Kingsbury, so that makes it even easier. It's more of an offense that's, that's obviously similar to what he ran. But, listen, the one thing you do see with the NFL, the NFL is starting to morph to their talent. Look at Justin Fields. Like this year, Justin mm-hmm. Fields, that's a, that's a college offense. You, you watch Justin Fields, he is not making NFL reads. That is a college offense. He is a running quarterback making one read and then run the football, using his legs all over the place. Like, I think you're seeing more of more of that in the NFL because you realize that you've got insane talents at that position. Um, but Caleb Williams, I think his gift is more when people are coming at him. He, he can run, yes. He can yeah. run and he's talented. But I think his ability to – stutter and head fake and, and, and uh, uh, you know, shake that rush and then make a throw that both feet are off the ground. I mean, both <laughs> yeah. feet in the air. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's like that Steph Curry magic of where his feet don't have to be perfectly set and he can, he can hit these shots that are just insane. So if you can find a balance with Caleb between, you know, the, uh, the, the freestyling too much and, you know, that's, again, that's, that's coaching that they'll have to morph that together you'll have something super special. And by the way, we're not even mentioning C.J. Stroud in this conversation, which, which is interesting, too. Well, yeah. we're not mentioning because I think yeah, we're talking about, about the 24 yeah. draft. Oh, that's right. Yeah. C.J.'s yeah. obviously going to go in, go, go in there. Yeah. And, and, and one thing uh, I, I want to say quickly, Pete, too, is yeah. while I'm, I'm the one that brought up the Oklahoma quarterbacks, the difference in Caleb and Baker and Kyler is that he's a big guy. You know, and, you yeah. know, that so maybe, you know, Jalen's a big guy, too. So, well, there's one other thing, too, Reese, like you can be you can be absolutely be a shorter quarterback nowadays. You've seen that the shotgun mm-hmm. diminishes that. Yeah, you can't be short and not athletic. Right. You you have That's to fair. have a discernible talent. Like if you're going to miss on some of those measurables and be deficient in one spot, you better be an outlier and a freak in another area. And, and that's that's what's Baker. Baker's short. Baker has those gifts where he can change his arm angle. Baker can't create. He ain't outrunning these people. Like, yeah, he's not, yeah. he doesn't have that ability. If you're shorter and you come from this system, you dang sure better be able to create. Russell Wilson was able to do it so well because he could create. He could move. His feet became a part of the dimensions. You can't be a shorter, unathletic quarterback or a quarterback that's not a really, really dynamic, great athlete and have that playmaking knack. Going back to the Vegas thing and the and the gossip uh, among the National Football Foundation, and some of it's not really even just gossip. Some of it's just opining and looking toward the future. I, I sensed almost a resignation among some that I talked to that the only way forward to kind of stabilize some of the uh, some of the roster movement, some of the uh, NIL collective stuff, was something that that administrators have balked at for a century or more collective bargaining with the players. Now, how is that going to manifest itself? Do you guys think, because I think there will be some market correction. A&M didn't get a return. Their boosters didn't get a return on their investment. Will they next year? I don't know. Maybe. And so maybe that settles it down. I bet they fire again though. (laughs) Yeah. Well, well, that's what I'm going to say. But at some point, at some point, David, they won't at some point they won't because nobody Rich guys don't get rich throwing good money after bad, right? So at some point you you're going to want to wait and see what your 
investment is going to yield. Probably not this year, but at some point, the market will correct itself a little bit. The question is, will it correct it enough uh, to give uh, the sport the stability it wants? Are you guys in favor of that, whether it be with a trade association or something that the players would probably get something, something guaranteed, and still maintain their ability to uh, do the NIL stuff on their own after they arrive? But the flip side would be they would probably have to sign something akin to a contract, at least for a while, and there would probably be some limitations on their ability to move, and they would be, uh, if not full-fledged employees, quasi-employees. Is that worth it, or are we okay with people recruiting somebody off each other's roster and saying, hey, you know what, if you saying to starters, if, if you want to leave, I can put together this seven-figure contract or seven figure deal for you like that what what what's best for the sport and what's best for the players because the players can get caught up in the churn and in the washing this too and it turns out not to be great for them yeah it's an interesting question reese and it's one i answer with uh much like i tease you for saying three compliments before you criticize something i'm, yeah. I'm going to like have a few qualifiers before i give my answer uh one <laughs> is that i am i am pro player and i have pro players profiting off what they're doing they're putting their you know they're putting their health at risk and Amen. you know so i just i don't want if you insinuate that there should be structure, I don't want to call them guardrails, but mm -hmm. I think there just needs to be a structure of how this is going to work. All right. Like it, the, the, the portal window now has, has come in. Um, there just needs to be guidelines. If we if this is really becoming professional sports, let's treat it like professional sports. Um, I don't think it's healthy for the sport to have every player be a free agent every year. I just don't think that's good for college football, you know, from the holistic sense. And I don't think leaders think that. So how do you marry the players getting what they deserve with a structure that helps give some continuity? And the example I give is college basketball. It's become so uh, there's just a, such a churn of players that there's no intimacy. There's no familiarity. You don't know who's on the teams like you did 20 years ago. College football could be in danger of losing that. So, and again, I'm not a, a legal law expert. There's certain thresholds that I don't have. I look, if there was an easy plan for this, somebody would have thought of it a long time ago. This is going to be complicated, and it may take some government action. It may take oh, some. Oh, Lord, let's hope not. God. Well, I mean, yeah. here's the thing it they waited so long for this, and they they held off on, on the players getting things for so long. Right that they lost control of how to do it. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there's just been a, a, an empty, like vacant place in Indianapolis for, for a long, long time to the point where, and actually I've, I've been told we're probably going to be a new NCAA president here in the near future, uh, maybe even the next couple of days. Like that job almost doesn't even matter anymore. Like that I'm job has say. just been ground to irrelevancy. So um, again, is it collectively bargained? Is it, I you know, there's been theories that, uh, that ADs have said to me where let's just take the SEC because I'm looking at David and he played in the SEC. If you sign up to go play at Kentucky, Ole Miss, fill in the blank, whatever, just hypothetical SEC team, that 10% or whatever percent of that television deal that pays hundreds of millions of dollars a year, you if you were on scholarship at an SEC school, everybody on scholarship makes X. So there's just a baseline payment and it goes through the leagues. Um, I do think there's just like 
it gets complicated when you become mm-hmm. a worker, right? That yeah. like just no, legally no. when people explain it. But I will say this the NCA's put a lot of really smart people on the transformation committee and they've sat there and looked at these issues. And the the feedback that I've gotten is that it's really, really complicated. You know, well, like the- like it's just there's just not a linear path to doing this. So I don't want to be the guy that, you know, just doesn't have answers because that that's not helpful to the discourse. But I do know there's no there's no easy answers and unwinding this thing to get it back to where it's going to be both good for the players and good for the sport is is going to be a really tricky uh, needle to thread. Uh, I agree, because ultimately, if it's not good for the sport on some level, it's not going to be good for the players anymore. Right. Uh, Because you're going to you're going to diminish your product. But the one thing I, I will say, I, I've been saying they have to collectively bargain, but I acknowledge immediately with whom, who, who is going to represent the players and have their best interest yeah. at heart? Because I'm, I'm with you. The players haven't gotten at least above board, haven't gotten above board what they, what they've earned, but this is it. And I'm not trying to mince words over what you said. It's not becoming a professional enterprise. It is a professional enterprise. It has been for years, really since the Supreme Court case in the 80s. It's been a purely professional enterprise. And if you've read some of the historical books about the origins of the sport, there were people getting paid, you know, in the late 1800s and 1900s. I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, they've always gotten paid. Now Now you're finding a way to do it a little bit more forthrightly. And in a way, perhaps that benefits everybody, uh, there's probably going to be revenue sharing and collective bargaining. But I still ask the question, with whom? And that's a really that's a tricky part of it, too, because it's going to be hard. And this is from my friend Rod Gilmore, who's an attorney. It'll be hard to become a pure union. Everybody says, well, does that players union? Yeah. Unions don't like constant turnover in their membership. And you, by definition, have that. Um, when when you have, when you're in college sports, so it would be something Rod suggested. This I'm not I don't want to put forth his plan or anything because I'm not really sure this was articulating it. But in now in the course of the course of our conversation, perhaps something akin to a trade association, which is similar to a union but doesn't have all of the aspects of it, then maybe somehow the players are represented. I didn't really mean to go down this rabbit hole, but it was something that came up because it came up mostly. Because everybody in that room was either recruiting somebody from the transfer portal to come to their school or worrying about someone who was already at their school going into the portal and going to another school. So, yeah. you know, there are a lot of things. So you have to start looking for for ways out of it. Can, can we can we all say this? Like, because, again, I don't know the solution either. So I'm one of those people that I don't know solutions. Can we start taking things away? Can we can we get rid of the NCAA? Like. What what purpose what purpose does the NCAA serve? Like I, I don't I don't understand. Like that to me would be the first step. Is like how do we get them out of the way because they don't really do anything that's productive for the sport? Would y'all agree with that? I, I, for football, for football, I, I, I agree with I agree with you, David. I think that there's going to come a day, and the administrators are really hesitant at this because this is like seismic change if they do it. Yeah, but but it's I think foot. I think football is going to become its own entity. It's going to be uh, professionalized to a large degree, which I already said it is a professional enterprise. But it'll become yeah. 
more legitimately professionalized. I don't know if that's going to happen in two years or 15 years, but I do think it's going to happen. Yeah, and I think that, football is going to be uh, be become its own entity. Well, and, and I think that needs to happen. Um, but but here's the thing, man. There, there's a couple of things to point out for me. One, the transfer portal has changed college football, but not for all negative. Agreed. And, 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 I, and I say that because, like, you look at the teams in the college football playoff right now, like, you look at what where the where college football is. I think there's more parity than it's been, and I think it's absolutely solely falls on the reason of the transfer board because you got teams every year now that they're really good teams, but but they're they're young in a spot. Well, some programs, right? Not everybody has the right to be Georgia and Alabama and Ohio State and go get the best players. That I don't necessarily need the experience. I can plug in this dude who's a freak, and the freak's gonna win. Like freaks take over the over, take over because they're so good. There's a lot of these teams that I'm just short at this spot. And I just need to, I need to weather the storm where I can develop my other guys and get to this spot. That's why I think we're at where we're at. We're more parity in college football, better teams. So I think the transfer portal has pros and cons. Like everybody's talking about, every coach in America is talking about how ridiculous it is that they have to, that their players are getting recruited off of their teams. Like that's got to change. That there's got to be something in place to make that change. We've talked about the windows changing, right? Like of when you can jump in the portal and when you can't. Like make kids stick to their commitment for a year at least. Make them, when they're on the squad, they're on the squad all the way till the end of the season before you can do anything because y'all all know it. We had them times. I had them as a freshman when I was like, this sucks. Like this is new. This is different. I'm not used to it. I just, I want to quit. I want to go home. Like we all need that as these as the as the as you're a kid and you leave home and you develop because here's here's the thing that if I was coming out right now I was a guy that wanted to make my future which who the heck doesn't want to change their stripes and change their future and change their family's future here's what you have right now I go to the highest bidder go get paid second year I go in the transfer portal I go to the highest bidder the next year so I get two dips a la Quinn Ears. Like, I get two big-time paydays from two big-time universities. All right, Reese, Pete, I go graduate. <laughs> transfer portal. Pay me again. I mean, like, is that really a model of, of, of college football that fans are going to continue to rally behind and be like, heck, yeah, that's my squad. That's my team. It's 100% more professional. It's more free agency. It's, it's a different brand that I think the – that college football, not the NCAA, they, they're going to need to leave at some point soon, needs to figure out how they want to address questions like that. And I don't think those questions are questions that are unsolvable. It's not a riddle. It's not a Rubik's Cube. It's not something that's impossible to solve, especially with the amount of smart people we have, you know, that are running organizations that have been a part of organizations. You know, I, I, I agree with you about everything you said, including the transfer portal, it's probably a net positive. Now, I don't like, as as you pointed out, the recruiting you know starters off the other guy's roster simply by offering him more money. And whether whether that's being exaggerated or there's hyperbole involved, people are complaining about it. And I'm sure on some level, uh, on some level, it's happening. But the transfer portal is good because, contrary to what a lot of people think, coaches aren't always right about players. Now. Hey, look, are they right more often than they're wrong because of their expertise? Yes. But in this short window, 
if a guy is using a player in such a way that the player doesn't think it's maximizing his ability, if he thinks he's being sold short, if the coach has decided that another guy is better than him, and we all know how stubborn most coaches are, not all, but most coaches are, it is next to impossible to change their minds. That's why That's why Stetson Bennett is such a remarkable story, because he changed their minds begrudgingly, maybe out of desperation, but they, their minds were eventually changed, and that usually doesn't happen. So I'm all for guys. They've got a short period of time to do this, and if they're not happy and they think they're being sold short or not being used in a way they think's best, sure, maybe they're wrong. Maybe, but they might be right, too. You know, and I yep. mean, transfer portal worked out pretty well for Joe Burrow transfer portal, even though he had a, a great run at Alabama after he lost his job transfer portal worked out pretty well for Jalen Hurts, you know, yep. so there, I mean, those are superstars and obvious examples, but there are a number of others as well. Um, so Drew Sanders anyway. just declared for the draft last week. Uh, yeah. Drew Sanders at Arkansas like that. Yeah. That, that is an elite usage of, of the, uh, of the portal. I but think you know we have what, to send was, David into the portal here. Yeah, I know. Uh, a little secret, though. Drew Sanders probably would have done the same thing had he stayed put at Alabama. Sure. He definitely, it, he definitely it, would it have probably would have put up bigger side. numbers because he'd have been, had Will Anderson beside him. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and even if they were, I mean, I did talk to him, I think, about moving inside, and he ended up doing some of that at Arkansas anyway. You know, but yeah. either way, he's an elite talent, and it was going to work out for him. Either way, Pollock, great insight, man. Yeah. Appreciate you. Y'all, man. I'm gonna go in That's the a huge Christmas right. tree, David, by the way. That thing looks like it's 14 da- feet tall. David loves Christmas. Bro, that's, that's awesome. Just, that's the okay. So that one is the one that we put all of our Christmas cards on that we get. So we safety oh. them, or you know, we clip them. Yeah. So we have all of our Christmas cards on that one. The big 14 ones right there. <laughs> and then our tra- our travel trees over there. There's a there's a tree in every room. You have so three do- Christmas trees. There's a tree in every room, Pete. Did you? I mean, we have a tree in the workout room. There's a tree in every room. Like right now, I'm looking at my living room, and I can see one, two, three, four Christmas trees. (laughs) Okay, define define the travel tree. Bill Bill Connolly is jumping in here. We're going to let you, Bill. You can jump in. Bill asked this question. What is the travel tree? Do you like put it in the car and take it around wherever you go? No, no. Good, good question. The, the travel tree. So everywhere we go um, with our family, we get ornaments from wherever we go. Oh, okay. So yeah, that, we, do that we have too. a little tree right there. Oh, travel tree. So that's a okay. cool tradition. On there. They have a bo- really... Did you get a Bozeman ornament? Uh, no, we don't have a Bozeman ornament, I don't think. But this one, this one's the dopest one. My wife came up with this, by the way. I got to give her credit. Like, you know, you get all these Christmas cards every year from all yeah. y'all and from all your buddies. And you just take a, uh, you know, one of those clips and you clip it on the tree and everybody's represented that, that, that loves you and that sends you, you know, Christmas, Christmas cards. So I think it's pretty cool. That's a great That's really idea. neat idea. That's great. We have zero Christmas trees at the Thamos because Teddy Thamel is like a 10 month old uh, tornado. We just assumed he would rip it down. So we've, <laughs> we've, we've resisted. We, we are fully celebrating Christmas. Don't get me wrong, but it was just a logistical, a logistical no, decision. That's got to be changed. That's got to be changed. That, that can't happen, bro. That is not, that is not cool. That is not good at all. You just got to have Teddy exercise some discipline. That's all. Yeah, uh, that just, is just much like this kid, podcast. Okay? <laughs> Teddy is <Yeah>. not disciplined. <laughs> yeah. There's no discipline in this podcast. Talking of an undisciplined is the subtitle of this podcast. All right, Pollock. Merry Christmas, right, bro. Good. We'll see you. Merry good Christmas. to see you, bud. Bill, do you have a travel Christmas tree? Or no, Bill. I, Bill probably has a World Cup, a World Cup soccer ornament right. 
uh, Division Three S SP Plus Christmas tree, something like that. How's the well, Hawaiian just... Thanksgiving bill? That's the update we need. Well, first, I was just happy he clarified because I really didn't think he meant that there was a tree he travels with and like <clears throat> puts in his hotel room or something. But you don't know Pollock. That's I was... possible. I, I, well, I needed he I needed clarification on that. Yeah. And yeah. we also don't have trees, not because of an undisciplined kid, but because we had two cats for 20 years and it just was never going to work properly with uh, very adventuresome cats. So that's we, we I guess we can move. We, we can get a tree now that they're they're gone. But uh, yeah, we're, we're playing from behind. Anyway, Thanksgiving was spectacular. That, that's your entire uh your entire answer. We had a local restaurant who does really good, like Thanksgiving carryout stuff. If you don't have time to do it yourself, so we went ahead and grabbed that on like Tuesday. Had it on like Friday, Saturday after having our Hawaiian Thanksgiving on Thursday. We had the best of all worlds. Wow, best dish in the Hawaiian Thanksgiving. So, man, I that, that one's that one's tricky. I, I will say the loco moco. We did justice to the loco moco. You know, just the the rice and the hamburger patty and the gravy and all that. That was pretty straightforward. The potato salad with the uh, the the purple potatoes that I ordered on Amazon uh, to get here in time uh, was is <laughs> one of those dishes that gets better every day for like three days until you're you're done with it. That was that was a good side. We're gonna. I think I can make that with plain old sweet potatoes, and I, I don't have to get Amazon involved. So, Bill, we got to get SP Plus involved. There, <laughs> and, and you know how much I do really respect TCU. I think they're really good. Mm-hmm. But there's just a big part of me that feels like Georgia caught a tough break <laughs> uh, getting Ohio State in the first round. I, I know, I understand that the big loss to Michigan has to factor in the evaluation and performance once you arrive in a tournament even a small tournament like this has nothing to do with selection so i'm not really i'm not complaining about the seating do your numbers suggest that that maybe georgia caught a little bit of a tough break getting uh getting ohio state there might have uh, uh fared better had they got one of the other two particularly tcu since they were really the other eligible one to slip to that four spot yeah, I mean, I, I can I can justify TCU being third just from a seeding standpoint because we know no matter how many times they say best, they're picking most deserving and they're they're ranking teams accordingly. But um, I, I mean, my numbers can say that that Ohio State would probably be favored by six or seven points over TCU, and that kind of gives you your answer right there. Um, the you know Ohio State. You know, I, I I I called Michigan cruiserweight Georgia a lot last year, and and um, you know we'll find out exactly what the gap there is. But if if Ohio State just got pushed around by cruiserweight Georgia, and they now have to play Georgia, that's going to be its own Fair enough. set of yeah. issues. But Ohio State on paper is better than TCU, so um, I, I think you know we, we can talk about bre- matchups and who caught a break or whatever. But <laughs> Ohio State would be favored on paper, yeah. Uh, what about Ohio State and Michigan? Now I know what happened. Yeah. And, you know, they punched him in the mouth. And a lot of the apparently a lot of the Michigan players wouldn't have minded having an opportunity to uh, <laughs> punctuate that performance again. Not that they're, you know, their full attentions on TCU. But um, what if it, what if they were to have matched up? What would your numbers have said about a rematch? Um, my, it looks like about Michigan by two, that, that would be okay. the, the new line. And I think it, I can't remember what the difference was, but I think the first time they played SP plus was like two points friendlier to Michigan. So maybe we'd see a kind of a pick'em situation if Vegas did that, but, um, you know, it will be, 
I was hoping, you know, it, it was going to be just the funnest thing in the world if they, you know, Michigan finally just, you know, got got Ohio State off the plate and then had to beat them again. Uh, and the thought of Ohio State either getting to get rid of these demons right away or just go into an absolute spiral existential crisis for having lost to Michigan twice in a month. Um, either one of those was going to be pretty entertaining. But I guess, um, you know, we still have a chance for a spiral here if if, if Georgia pounds them, I guess. So could we have Carolina Duke in the final four, if memory serves me right, God, for the first time, and then the first rematch of Michigan-Ohio State for the (laughs) national title in the same year? I'm not going to predict it. I'm not not picking against Georgia, but... um, Yeah, no, I'm not either, but that would be pretty wild. No, it would. And I'm not going to pretend Ohio State doesn't have a chance here. Um, yeah. They still have the best skill core in the country when healthy. And I realize Smith and Jigman's not going to play, so we're never going to see that version. Um, but they still have a, a great running game, even if they have to move a converted linebacker, running back turned linebacker turned running back, and, and he rushes for 80 yards or whatever he did against Michigan. If Ohio State and Michigan play again, they're not. Michigan's probably not getting five touchdowns of 45 plus yards again like they did last time. And you know, one of the things that Ohio State has going for them against Georgia is they might not do it. Georgia might not do it. Georgia was not a good go deep against man coverage team this year. Not that Michigan was, I guess, and they suddenly became yeah. one. But there's no guarantee that Georgia's going to just destroy Ohio State with big plays. And if they don't, Ohio State's got the best offense Georgia's faced this year. So um, I'm definitely not picking against Georgia, but it's going to be a really, really interesting game. Yeah, there's paths for Ohio State to win that game. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Do I think Georgia's going to win? Prob- probably. Like, I just, you know, especially if Jalen Carter is the Jalen Carter of last year <laughs> yep. and if Jalen Carter is the Jalen Carter we saw on the field at at, at Tennessee. Um, I noticed that Mel Kuyper pushed him to the number one uh, overall prospect, and I kind of thought absurd. we'd get there this year, to be honest, just, just because yeah. – there is a dynamism that he brings to the inside that is just different. I mean, he just he just ticks and revs different than uh, than 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 anyone uh, than anyone else. Um, oh, so far. That, okay, yes, then I, I'll, I'll go ahead and jump out here. I'm going to double down on what I said <laughs> at the draft last year, and I love Jalen Carter. You know that's true. If the number one pick in the draft is not Will Anderson, you're doing <laughs> it wrong. You're doing it wrong. I'll I'll stick to that. Not that Jalen Carter won't be great. He should go second. So that, that, I'm, I'm that's, pulling up how many. I mean, look, that's that's see. fair, right? Like, yeah, you, you, usually yeah. these draft debates and, and Bill, we were talking Caleb versus Drake in 24 before you came on earlier. I don't ever <laughs> remember there being the defining debate of the draft being the end versus the tackle. <laughs> and people haven't kind of takes on it, too. Like there's, you know, um, it, it, but that's uh, that's fun. You know what I mean? They yeah, are. The fact that- they are. Yeah, they're dynamic players. Go ahead, Bill. Sorry. Yeah, and the fact that Will Anderson had 17 tackles for loss this year this year in a terribly disappointing season. Like the, <laughs> the, the, the takes that I was seeing by the end of the year, like, oh, what, Will Anderson, that's just because of last year. He was terrible this year. He had 17 tackles for loss this year uh, in 12 games, not 13, because they didn't play in the SEC title game. Um, he's he's absurd. Um, I, I'm, I don't know what take to have because I would want my team to have either one of them. Carter, I mean, both, Carter yeah. was the best D lineman last year on Georgia. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they still had a really good defense earlier this season when he was banged up. And and so if he's peaking, that that's a scary that's a scary thing. I do think it's fair to say that um, that Anderson Anderson didn't finish some plays 
that he did last year, this year, a yeah. lot of time because he got a boatload of pressures. Now, some of that's they got rid of it. Some of it is Alabama used him inside a little bit more. And some have questioned, you know, whether, you know, whether that was best use of his immense skill set. Um, so certainly something he can do, but maybe was it really playing to his, uh, to his genius, as it were. Um, yeah, right. All that, all that, neither here nor there. Both great picks, both going to be yep. great players, sort of like uh, the Caleb Drake thing, which will be uh, that sounds like a it sounds like a Nickelodeon show from when my kids were young. <laughs> Caleb and Drake, uh, it's sort of like a spinoff of the Josh and Drake show. You hey, got we should do something by game Caleb day and next Drake. year. Get a theme song, <laughs> Caleb and Drake, right there. <laughs> Bill, do you have a let's talk a little ball? We've talked a lot of uh, uh, a lot of other things, philosophy, stuff like that. Uh, backstage at the National <laughs> Football Foundation quarterback crushes and the define of defining thing of crush, which by the way, Bill, is cornerstone superstar player in college who will also be franchise cornerstone in the NFL, at least in in my judgment, right or wrong. That's my definition okay. of quarterback crush. So anyway, we've we've caught Bill up to speed now. How about is there another bowl game? Because we get so fixated on the semis, especially among the early ones that you're like, okay, I'm not missing that one. Well, I think starting off with UTSA Troy, like on the first Friday of bowl season, having, you know, two of the probably four best group of five teams um, right out of the gate. I love that. That's going to be a super fun matchup. Troy, it just took me all year to for my brain to go from Troy is better than I thought to Troy's just really good. Um, mm. And you combine that with UTSA, you know. I saw people laughing about how, um, you know, UTSA basically has four plays on offense um, and, and you could, they can just destroy anybody at that level with them. But I mean, lots of, lots of QB, you know, draws and sneaks, lots of just quick sideline passes to their amazing receiver, but they've got an amazing receiver and amazing running back. That's going to be, and Troy's got an amazing defense. So I, I'm really, really excited about that game. I love, I like when they're, when we got the cornerstones right out of the gate. I think both of those teams will play really hard, um, which is obviously, you know, in bowl season, you don't always get that. Everybody thinks they're going to, and then they show up and they get popped in the mouth on the first drive of the game and they just check out. But um, that should be a really good game for that, uh, for that reason. We do kind of have matchups that I like for all the different reasons we like bowls. There's the mid majors playing really really hard um we'll get that with with utsa troy we'll get just the weird teams seeing them on the same field thing on saturday that that following saturday when florida plays oregon state um that that one's just and, and missouri wake forest is another one i don't think that one's ever happened so we get that aspect which i really enjoy um, and then we just get the happy to be there bulls. Um, I, I, Marshall's Marshall's going to mop the floor with UConn probably if, if they show up properly, but I just love that. We're going to watch UConn in a bowl. And then a few days later, we're going to watch New Mexico state against Bowling Green in a bowl that those are always the most fun because those are the most likely to result in the coach, the victorious coach crying on the field after the game <laughs> for winning, you know, that, you know, the Camellia bowl or whatever it is in a given year. Um, those are my favorite types of bowls right there. See, Bill, you're all wrong. The best bowl is my Wasabi Fenway Bowl because we have no idea who's going to coach in it, who's going to play in it. And, and it might actually get played. Like, yes. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Third time's a charm um, in that regard. 
I am, uh, I am that, that is just a bowl of weirdness, uh, that I am looking forward to, uh, coming to Fenway park, uh, just a mere few miles from my home here in, uh, in, in, in Boston. I just, I, there, so Scott Satterfield said publicly, he's not going to go like a lot yeah. of times I've covered some of these smaller bowls and like the new coach comes and like on the does the third quarter sideline interview and kind of gives the pitch to recruits. Nope. That's like, we're ghosting recruits. <laughs> He's like, I ain't coming. Uh, no word yet. If, uh, if, if Jeff Brom is going to, uh, is yeah. going to make his way, uh, is going to make his way up to Fenway, but that's, uh, that is that is some, that is going to be some fascinating theater, and it's like, oh, by the way, here's a game, and here's kid, you know, kids who deserve this reward. They're playing hard. Um, I would like to say something about the bowl, but since it's never happened, I don't know if they go to the city and have a good time. I assume so, but uh, yes. So a lot of excited well, for the, the way, coats. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, but by the way, can um, can Graham Mertz play for Kentucky? Just go ahead and put him in the lineup. They may um, need him. When they play Iowa, they, I mean, yeah, it, that was that was my favorite projection for all the SP Plus uh, projections. Here was it was basically Kentucky thirteen, Iowa thirteen, and that did not take into account the fact that all the quarterbacks are gone. Yeah, um, and 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 receivers apparently for Iowa. I don't know yeah. how it's going to get worse than that. Really, it's you know I, I think you could probably go to your second stringers without a problem. Is Mertz official or is that projected? I think. Well, I thought I'd seen. Uh, I thought I'd, that I, it was. I, I thought I saw it too. I'd have to look and see, but I thought I saw that he had decided. But I want to. I want to go back to that. Was it Wasabi Fenway Bowl? Just yeah. for a second. <laughs> am I the only? Am I the only one? I don't understand a couple of things about this. One, my initial inclination is that Louisville won that that deal in terms of the the coaching shuffle, and the second was if it is true. One of the things that I read. And I don't know Scott Satterfield well enough. I know his background well, but to know if this is accurate. But one of the things that was opined in the aftermath is that he never really fit because Louisville is is a city or stuff going on. He went to Cincinnati. He didn't go to Marshall. You know, I mean, it's <laughs> so if he didn't, if it didn't fit him at Louisville, why in the world is it going to fit him at Cincinnati? I mean, I. Pete, you have some insight on this, I know. Well, it's interesting. Like, we often, you know, have become such prisoners of moments that you like, let's step back. Scott Sarfield walks in for Bobby Petrino, and it's an unmitigated disaster, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's an unmitigated disaster. And he, and he, he has the, he makes the fatal coach mistake of he probably pulled him a little too far in his first year to, to, you know, to come back. So then, then he's just trying to keep, keep above water. And, it, look, Scott Satterfield is kind of a small town guy, and that's sort of his his vibe. Now, Cincinnati is in the city more so. Eh, Louisville's in the city too. Uh, when you think about it, Cincinnati is in the city. But um, so I don't know. I, I think it, I think that's a pretty good move for both sides. I you know knowing Cincinnati's pool, Scott Satterfield was the best candidate that they could get who was attainable. So. Um, and I do think he learned a lot, right? Like when you all of a sudden become a power five coach and you got to build a roster to beat Clemson, it's, it's difficult and it's, it's different. And so it will be interesting to see how he takes that and, and, and goes to the big 12, because if he has a Malik Cunningham type quarterback and right. Evan Prater could, you know, could, could be that type of guy. It, I have not seen him in the portal yet. Um, if, if he goes, you know, maybe, maybe that style translates a little better. Um, maybe, yeah. but, I, I think I like the hire for I like the hire for Cincinnati. I, I thought it was uh, I thought it was pretty uh, 
pretty strong. They had taken a long look at Sean Lewis, who Dion plucked to go to Colorado, <laughs> um, who obviously plays a distinct hyper tempo defiant style. Yeah, I think um, the, best, the, the best thing I can say about Satterfield, just to jump in on that part, is just that he inherited a great culture at App State and did great things. He inherited a just a blown up culture at Louisville and did okay things. But he's inherited a good culture at Cincinnati. Yeah, and if that's, if, that's if that's the kind of if you can walk in and have that upperclassman reinforcing everything to the underclassmen kind of vibe and maintain that, we we know he can do that pretty well because he did it at app. So yeah, I mean the the location and all that is different, and we'll see exactly how that translates. But in theory, if it comes down to culture, he's got a good one. No, I, that's that's a great and a fair point, Bill. I will say this too: the Brahm move is really, really smart on his part because he's he's coming off an appearance in the Big Ten championship game, getting Purdue just by definition being in something called a championship game uh, <laughs> to unimaginable heights recently, and the Big Ten ultimately is going to do away with divisions, which means. You're not getting back. Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe you catch lightning in a bottle one year and get back. But in terms of being in it every year, the way he could expect to be in the Big Ten West every year uh, at Purdue, and now with the Big Ten West having upgraded to programs with more history, I, I know that Purdue's going to have a lot of resources because the Big Ten schools all get a lot of money, but there's more uh, infrastructure, history, uh dedication from boosters at places like Wisconsin, at places like Nebraska. Now, Illinois got it going. So you've got that. And then forget Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State. You know, that that job, always hard, will become even harder once they go away from divisions. And he's going back home. He it's another power five job. I think he's I think he's a good coach. So it's um you know I I think that was a really wise move on his part and I don't want Purdue fans to get all upset I'm not saying you can't ever win or it's not a good program and all that. Jeff did a great job elevating a lot of things there but it's a hard job yeah. it always it always has been and so now you know you know they they're going to they're going to get tired of you if you don't win especially if you do something <laughs> like that they're going to say why can't you do it again and so it was a good fresh set of downs for him and and Purdue gets an opportunity now to uh to prove guys like me wrong or saying it's a hard job and you're not, not going to you know get back and all of that stuff and they can maybe have a chance to to find the right guy and get it done as they did with Brock by the way they right. found the right guy and he and he did a really good job there for them yeah, I call it Glenn Mason territory. When you raise the when you raise the bar, and then you can't continue to meet the the cleared bar, mm-hmm. suddenly going seven and five doesn't feel as good anymore. Um, yeah. So it certainly made sense. And also, it's funny to think about, he, you know, the the Big Ten getting rid of divisions would have been bad for him at Purdue. ACC getting rid of divisions is going to be great for him at Louisville because you can actually for now sure. make the you can actually yeah. make the conference title game. Great, um, great point. Great point. So, so that's going to be kind of I I I I'll, I'll miss the ridiculousness of the ACC Coastal, but I'm too. very happy for Louisville and Wake and Syracuse and all the teams. Well, Wake made it anyway, but um, all the teams that that missed out on on uh, potential title game spots there. Yeah, because now when you have your really good year, 
You don't have to beat Clemson and Florida State if we assume that Florida <laughs> right. State's going to continue on yep. its trajectory. You just have to get, you know, maybe if you're great, maybe you beat both of them. But in the other years, maybe you just have to get past one of them. And that's, yeah. you know, that's helpful too. Yeah. So. NC State too, I guess. Yeah. And NC State too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and still through it all, America's candidate continues to just soldier on and win games there at NC State. Right. I mean, yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, just just keeps winning them. Keeps winning all the time. <laughs> and and more consistently than his uh, quite a few of his predecessors. You know? And more consistently than a lot of his detractors, too. I mean, That's they, they keep they keep fair. keep finding ways to win games and won the in-state rivalry this year and uh got to talk a little bit about it. And old Dave Doran had a good time uh, winning, uh becoming king of the state for this year. Gentlemen, uh, always great to talk to you. Bill, I'll be looking forward to hearing about your Christmas feast. I'm sure we'll talk again before then. Whatever That's that right. Is there a themed Christmas feast too, or is it just uh, for Thanksgiving? Uh, this is kind of this is this is going to be a letdown. But basically, we um, we do biscuits and gravy every, uh, like for Christmas morning. That's huh. that's our main. Everything else can change. Uh, that's but, never a letdown. Uh, my, oh no, do, no, do my. You- oh, I mean, it's not Hawaiian biscuits and gravy or anything. Um, it's just straightforward. My grandpa's Oklahoma biscuits and gravy, and it's pretty spectacular. So, okay, let, mill let nut, me ask- mill nut's the secret ingredient there. Okay, mill let me nut, ask- mill, mill nut, nut? like uh, sweetened mill condensed nut? milk. Oh, okay. Are you? Do you like? Uh, do you like sweets? <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. Do, do have you ever had chocolate gravy? Do you, do you know this chocolate gravy that goes I, on biscuits? Uh, oh man, like I I know just like you know warming up Nutella and and nah, making nah, nah, it, nah, nah, but, nah. but no no I don't know about yeah, chocolate. This gravy. is different Go, than hot fudge. Oh yeah, way different than hot fudge. There is something my my okay. mom made it. It's really huh. it's sort of a Northwest Alabama thing. My mom and my grandmother made it. There are a few other outposts, but I'm not really sure how to do it. But I know there are uh, there are recipes on the interwebs. And being that you like to uh, experiment, maybe you make a little side and you mm-hmm. have your traditional biscuits and gravy and then you put the, the chocolate gravy <laughs> on on homemade biscuits is exceptional. It, yeah, my wife um, has such a good biscuits recipe that she, she's always a tinkerer and, and, and experimenting and everything else. She stopped tinkering like a year ago. She's like, I got it. I nailed it. You, got, you nailed so it. I got the got, biscuits. That's great. I figured I, it out. We've, we've got the biscuits to go with the chocolate gravy for sure. Yeah. And, and okay, one other thing, because I'm uh, my <laughs> culinary expertise is is defined by I like to eat the delicious food. <laughs> Seven up biscuits. Have her look if she have a look at that sometime too. Wow, that is I've southern. I've heard of Coca-Cola cake. I've heard of yep, Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola cake. Coca-Cola cake is delicious too, of... but then there's seven up or Sprite or whatever oh. uh, lemon lime type soda you prefer. Uh you I don't really know. My wife does. You put it in the biscuit mix. It's it's that's outstanding too. Yeah. Interesting. All right. I've I've done what I can here. Now I'm hungry, so I'm gonna go find lunch. <laughs> Travel trees uh, and chocolate. Gravy. We've really covered some ground here. I'm telling you, th- uh, this is it's fun. This is better than you know beating two high safeties. Yes. <laughs> At least for a change and, of and pace. And by the way, and, and by the way, we will have to talk about stakes at some point because you won. That's right. Yes, you won. Bill, you won. Congratulations, yeah, congratulations, won Bill. Race. Well earned. I finished. Well earned. I finished last by a game in the loss column to Pete. Pete and I think had the same number of wins, but Pete had one fewer loss. Yeah. So congratulations, well, we both of you. I look yeah. forward to I look forward to sharing uh copious amounts of beef with, with the yes. two of you at some point. Just need yeah. to figure out how to get up there at some point. 
All right. We'll, we'll get it done. We'll get it done. We'll, suggestions for holiday recipes will be taken in our Twitter <laughs> inboxes. I'm sure this is the College Game Day podcast. Thanks for listening. Download wherever it is you like to get your podcast. We'll see you next time.